Hey, thanks for tuning in to Cross Defense. Today we're talking about pastors. We're talking about respecting the pastoral office and why pastors shouldn't be frivolous or severe, but faithful. To do that, we're going to let Martin Luther teach us from his commentary on the book of Romans as we look at Romans 1.1. All that and more is coming up right now on Cross Defense. Welcome to Cross Defense. This is the show that aims to equip the mind, excite the imagination, and comfort the soul. And we do all of that with God's Word, properly distinguishing between law and gospel. I'm your host, Reverend Tyrell Bramwell, the pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church out here in Ferndale, California. This faithful flock of winged lion Christians, that's the the symbol for St. Mark, isn't it? Yes, it is. And we are broadcasting from KFUO Radio, where Christ is for you anytime, anywhere, recording this episode of Cross Defense in the Winged Lion Studio. It's great when the church at a local congregation partners with, with the church at large and brings people together, proclaiming the truth to all those who want to listen. And it is a pleasure to be a part of that to represent both St. Mark and KFUO Radio today. So thanks for tuning in to the show. There's all kinds of great content coming to you from KFUO Radio. Today on Cross Defense, this particular podcast, we're going to talk about the pastoral office and appreciating it, or perhaps not appreciating it. We're actually going to let Reverend Martin Luther, the pastor Martin Luther, I don't know if you know about this guy. He's a great theologian. We're going to let him teach us about frivolous pastors, severe pastors, and conversely, faithful pastors. And no, I'm not talking about Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., if you think that's the Martin Luther I'm talking about. No, he took his namesake from just the regular old Reverend Dr. Martin Luther. Yeah, just without the King Jr. part. <laughs> oh, the guy from Wittenberg, Germany, right? We're going to let him, the guy of the Reformation fame, the guy of gospel fame, the guy who has brought back the truth, Brought it back from the law. Oh, I do love me some Martin Luther. I hope you do too. Martin Luther does a good job of teaching us about pastors in his commentary on the book of Romans. We're going to read from that today. If during the course of the show, you decide you'd like to send us a message, I have some news for you today, my friends. We've done a thing here. It's your fault. I blame all of you. You can now reach me via Twitter. That's right. That's what I said. My handle is my name, at Tyrell Bramwell on Twitter. You can you can get get a hold of me there. I started a, a Twitter account thinking it might be good for some of you who uh, would like to reach reach me online that way, not go through email. And it seems to be the freest option out there in our soft totalitarian Western world that we live in, where uh, we have these big tech companies who like to censor free speech. I thought it might make it easier for some of you Mad Max types out there. You know who you are, who are venturing through the dystopian frontier of social media. It might be easier for you to message me there than to go to stmarksferndale.com slash contact and drop me an email. Actually, I'm kind of curious. I want to know your thoughts. You, you might know that I like to post videos on YouTube. I guess YouTube is social media. You can post and you can message and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I'd like to know what you think about posting videos on Twitter instead, given 
YouTube's propensity toward censorship, and Elon Musk's claim, at least, to be a free speech advocate. What do you think? Should I redirect my video efforts from YouTube to Twitter? I think it's called Blue. Let me know what you uh, what you think about that, either on Twitter, at Tyrell Bramwell, or still the best way right now to get a hold of me is via email at stmarksferndale.com slash contact. That's S-T-M-A-R-K-S ferndale.com slash contact. And note that that's not stmarksferndale.org. Don't be confused. That's a troll site dedicated to getting me defrocked and or the church audited by the IRS because someone doesn't know how to read the Johnson Amendment. So send your comments to stmarksferndale.com slash contact or at Tyrell Bramwell on Twitter. Uh, Kurt did that. Well, he went to the email, not the Twitter. And this is what Kurt said. Kurt said, Pastor Bramwell, wow, I just got done listening to your broadcast yesterday, and he's talking about last week's episode, and I looked you up. I am an elected official in Madison County, Illinois, county board chairman. My pastor is Reverend Kent Ben Ball with other pastors, Reverend Will Whedon and Reverend Bill Gleason at St. Ma- Paul Lutheran. I can, I can talk, I promise. St. Paul Lutheran Hamill. So I was blessed by your talk today. We have stood up to the drag queen story time that arrived at two public libraries in our county in 2022. Thank you for stirring us up! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. I am in 100% agreement. Signed, Kurt. Well, thank you, Kurt. Thank you very much for stirring me up, brother. Thank you for your words of encouragement. Pastors need these words too. I truly appreciate your message and that you took the time to send it. Thank you, brother, for doing that. And I, dear sir, I am thankful for your service to your county. As a faithful Christian man, may more men do what you're doing and be elected to public service. May God bless you. And may he bless your county, all your neighbors there in your county. And please, sir, please give my greetings to Reverends Ball, Whedon, and Gleason. It is so good to hear these positive comments, especially when, and now we're going to get into some of this, we hear so many negative ones. This is about to get ugly. These are some of the comments made about me from... St. Mark's recent uh, sign where we publicly prayed for uh, our public vice chairman of our county supervisors, uh, board of supervisors. We, we publicly prayed for him. We asked for forgiveness because he supported the LGBTQ. And we did that with our church sign. This is another little side topic here. Your church sign is powerful. Don't waste the time and the space. This is my advice to you. You can take it or leave it. Don't waste it with these silly little puns and these little jokes, the kind of things that you can you can look up on Pinterest. No, 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 no. Pinterest? I always say it wrong. Pinterest. See, this is how much I loathe social media. Uh, don't waste it with that kind of thing. Use it effectively. Speak true words to your neighbors. That's my advice. I, like I said, you can take it or leave it. Do, it. do with it what you want. But when we post... People are reading our words. They're reading our signs. Some of them hate it. Some of them love it. But every one of them is learning from it. And we are being very diligent to speak carefully, but to speak boldly, sharply, truthfully to 
our culture today, our local culture, which happens to mirror our national culture, but specifically addressing our neighbors and what they're going through. And so we mentioned our county supervisor by name because he is a public official who publicly sinned. And so we can then, therefore, publicly address that. These are the comments. Some of them, just a, just a few, and the ones that I can read on air with just some minor edits so you can understand how many people in the world do not appreciate pastors today. So it's good to have Kurt's positive one to get us started, because here we go, guys. We are now going to dive into a little flow of negativity. And I start to quote, It's not your calling to judge others. Let us decide our own sin, we read. The Lord did not put us here to judge one another, but to love. Regardless of biblical beliefs, we are not the ones to judge. What the bleep is wrong with that pastor? I'm shocked he's able to spread and post such hate and doesn't get driven out of town. What the bleep? Tyrell is out of his bleeping mind. I'm not ever going to bother to pray for him because I think he is beyond hope. Now, that sounds like judgment to me. I don't know about you guys, but that sounds like judgment to me. I thought that wasn't allowed. But there's never really a consistency, is there? And speaking of someone who hasn't been fully indoctrinated in the unrepentant sinner's favorite Bible verse to twist, Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest you be judged, this guy says, morons. When you get rural, you get people who don't really understand the big picture. It's not really their fault. They've been raised thinking that city folk are coming up here to destroy their values and blah, blah. Quite a scary proposition for someone who's never been past Oric. Best to have patience with them and just shrug it off. Their granddaddy's going to die within the decade and the churches will all eventually go away. Gay marriage is only legal in a handful of countries, but it's moving like crazy. Just got to wait for the old folks to die off. Goes quicker than you think. Wow. And we read again. So tired of seeing this stuff there on the sign. I wish he would leave town like he did once before. He doesn't deserve to live here in our beautiful town. He's a horrible example of a human being. Judge not lest you be judged. There it is again. Let him die miserable and alone. Love the person and not the sin. That's my belief. I'm not judge or juror. Love thy neighbor as yourself. Wow, this is blatantly judgmental as bleep. And the people who put that up need to be put on blast. Turn the church into the IRS. It can lose its nonprofit status. So, okay, I, I think we get the idea, right? This is a sampling of how faithful pastors and their churches are treated by the world today when we condemn sin and when pastors are praying for those who give approval to sin and doing so without shame, as Romans tells us, as Paul says in the book of Romans, that we are unashamed of the gospel, right? So if you want to know more about this particular situation, if this is in, you know, stirring you up like it did Kurt, if, it, if your, your imagination is excited by this and you want to kind of see what's going on so that you can get some good direction for yourself and for your church and, and how you can support your pastor, or if you are a pastor, you know, what to kind of be equipped for persecution that's coming, uh, you can certainly listen to 
this week's sermon, this past Sunday's sermon, I will uh, leave a, a link to that in the show notes so you can take a look at that as well. Uh, you can uh, let me know what you think as, as well, too, via Twitter, at Tyrell Bramwell. <laughs> so we'll leave a link to it down below. Now, taking a note from Polycarp, though, which we heard in the last episode, you can take a listen to that as well, I'm not going to take the time to address all the different errors that we see, the multitude of errors that we see presented by the woke mob. There's a lot of vitriol in their words, and those are just the ones I can read on air. <laughs> but what did Polycarp say? He, he addressed the proconsul and said, you know, I, I esteemed you as one worthy of, of discourse because we're taught as Christians to, to pay due respect to you. But I'm not going to address the mob. I'm not going to try to convince the mob of, you know, to let me go or let me live or whatever, right? To, to see me in a different light. So I'm going to take the same course of action as Polycarp. I'm not going to address that. What we are going to do is we are going to let Pastor Luther teach us about what it means to be a faithful pastor. And we are going to learn some mightily great things. Mightily great? Yes. Mightily great things from him. Some, are, are you ready? Let's do this thing, okay? So this is from the commentary on Romans from Martin Luther. And just right at the very beginning, before even we get into chapter one, he says, this is general commentary, man's own wisdom and works do not save. So here we go. The object of this epistle is to destroy all wisdom and works of the flesh, no matter how important these may appear in our eyes or those of others, and no matter how sincere and earnest we might be in their use. So he says, the epistle to the Romans, the object of it is to destroy all wisdom and works of the flesh, man's wisdom. In its place, he says, it implants, this, this epistle, it implants, deepens, and magnifies the sense of sin, no matter how little of it, in our opinion, there may exist, or how much of it may be there. For this reason, St. Augustine says in his book concerning the Spirit and the letter that the apostle vehemently inveighs against the proud, arrogant persons who glory in their works among Jews and Gentiles. There were many who believed that virtue and wisdom suffice for salvation, provided they are exercised not for show or for pleasing men, but with truest singleness of heart, as was the case with some philosophers. However, even though these did not assert their righteousness before men or boast of it, but followed it with genuine love for virtue and wisdom, and to these belong the best and sincerest, though with the exception of Socrates, we know only few of such, yet in the inmost recesses of their hearts, they could not refrain from self-complacency and boasting at least not in their thoughts, of being wise, just, and good. The apostle says of them, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Romans 1.22 But here we learn that the very opposite is the case. And in the church, we declare that our righteousness and wisdom are in vain. Let me read that again. Our righteousness, our wisdom, man's wisdom, 
man's righteousness are in vain, so that we must neither praise nor extol them by false pretense. Everything turns about the point that our righteousness and wisdom must be destroyed and rooted out of our hearts and our self-complacent minds. God thus speaks through Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah 1.10. I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, namely everything, all righteousness that is our own and in which we glory, and to build and to plant, namely everything, all righteousness that is outside us and from Christ. We are saved by Christ's righteousness. God certainly desires to save us, Luther says, not through our own righteousness, but through the righteousness and wisdom of someone else, or by means of a righteousness which does not originate on earth, but comes down from heaven. So then we must teach a righteousness which in every way comes from without and is entirely foreign to us. There is no righteousness within, my friends. It all comes from without. Christ desires to have our hearts so free and divested of our own righteousness and wisdom that for our sins, we fear no denial of grace. And for our virtues, we seek no glory and vain satisfaction. Let's leave it right there. Take our first break. And when we get back, we'll continue learning from Reverend Dr. Martin Luther about pastors, frivolous, severe, and faithful. You're listening to Cross Defense. We'll be right back. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Put this wisdom of God into practice by listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple, and faithful pastors from around the world help sharpen my faith in Christ every episode. I know you'll be blessed by listening and studying God's Word with us. Listen to Sharper Iron weekdays at 8 a.m. on KFUO and on demand at KFUO.org, the KFUO radio app, and anywhere you get your podcasts. It's clear today to discern that there is much depreciation, not appreciation, but depreciation of clergy, of the pastor. But Luther tells us we should appreciate our pastors. We're going to get into that as we continue right now to read from his commentary on the book of Romans. He says, we even should not boast before men of the righteousness which is ours from Christ. Nor should we allow ourselves to be cast down by the sufferings and afflictions which are sent to us by him. A true Christian should so renounce all things, all righteousness and wisdom, that in honor and dishonor, he always remains the same, assured that whatever honor comes to him belongs to Christ, not to him, but to Christ, whose righteousness and gifts of grace shine forth from him, and whatever reproach he endures is inflicted 
on Christ, not on him, on Christ who is in him. See, it becomes consistent. If you are honored, it's not Tyrell Bramwell honored, it's Christ honored. If you are reproached, hated, it's not Tyrell Bramwell who's hated, it's Christ who's hated. To reach such perfection, we require not only much spiritual grace, but also much experience. Because of our natural and spiritual gifts, men may regard us as wise, righteous, and good. But God does not regard us as such, especially not if we so esteem ourselves. We therefore must remain so humble as if we as yet had nothing, neither righteousness nor wisdom in Christ. But we're still waiting for the tender mercies of God who for Christ's sake regards us as wise and righteous. There are many who indeed, for God's sake, regard temporal blessings as nothing and gladly renounce them, as, for example, Jews and heretics. But there are very few who regard also their spiritual gifts and good works as nothing, seeking to obtain only the righteousness of Christ. Of this, Jews and heretics are incapable, though without this no one can be saved. They invariably desire and hope that their own righteousness will be esteemed and rewarded by God. But his verdict forever stands. So then, it is not for him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy." Romans 9.16. So why the apostle wrote the epistle? Luther says, regarding the epistle, I do not believe that its recipients who are addressed as beloved of God, quote unquote, and called, and called saints, quote unquote, called saints, were in such a situation that the apostle found it necessary to intervene because of existing dissensions and to regard them all as gross sinners. If really they were Christians, they knew this, the need of peace and concord as believers. I rather think, Luther says, that he used the opportunity, Paul used the opportunity of writing to them because they were Christian believers. They were to have a testimony of their faith and doctrine from the pen of the great apostle for their controversies with Jews and Gentiles. These continued in unbelief and glorified in their flesh over against the despised wisdom of the believers who had to live among them and listen to their opposing views. That's important to note right there. So Luther is saying he believes the reason Paul wrote this letter to the Roman church is because they were going to be contending with the unbelievers in the Jewish camp and the unbelievers in the Roman camp, the Gentile camp. They're living in Rome, right? And he says they're going to constantly be attending to their opposed views and dealing with them. They're constantly going to be despised. And their Christian wisdom, godly righteousness and wisdom is going to be viewed as foolishness. And it's going to be the reason they're persecuted. 
And so Paul writes them this wonderful book. I'm going to read that again. These Christians continued, or excuse me, not these Christians, but these Jews and Gentiles, they continued in unbelief and they glorified in their flesh over against the despised wisdom of the believers, the Christians, who had to live among them and listen to their opposing views. We listen to the opposing views of our contemporaries just the same. And I don't mean we just here in Ferndale, although that is very much the case, but we in the Western church, in America, we have lost the culture. It is no longer a Christian culture. We live among those who despise our wisdom, the wisdom that comes from God, don't we? Let us read Romans and learn from it. The apostle thus, continuing with Luther, thus writes to the Corinthians, for we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. 2 Corinthians 5.12. And now here we go. The true Christian minister. And this is amazing stuff. As we study the text, Luther says, from verses 1 to 17, so if you want to kind of look over 1 to 17 as we're, we're going through this, or if you want to pause at some point and, and take a look at that text, go right ahead. We see that it contains not so much academic instruction, hmm, as rather teaching by example. Now, I'm not dismissing academic instruction. We, we certainly should send our people to the seminary, our men to the seminary, to be trained by the academics, to learn what they need, as we will see. But let us not at the same time dismiss what we learn from examples in the real life world, not from the books only, but in the real world. So we say, uh, we read, we see that it contains not so much an academic instruction as rather teaching by example. For here in the beginning, the apostle teaches by his own example how a minister should conduct himself over against his parishioners. Oh, it behooves a wise minister of God to hold his office in honor and to have his hearers show it proper respect. Pastors, not for your own sake, but for the sake of your people, hold the pastoral office in high regard. Treat it with dignity and respect. And every time I think about this, even though it's not dealing with ecclesial authority, it's dealing with civil authority, I think about Ronald Reagan. And, and I heard, I don't, I've never even verified this, I just heard the legend that he would never enter the Oval Office without first putting on a tie because of his respect for the presidential office that he was in. I don't know if that's true or not, but I like the idea of that. And it certainly relates, and probably more so, I would say, to the pastoral office. Treat it with respect. None of us men are, are worthy of this office. It is only the office that allows us the privilege to work with God's word and God's peoples as much as we get to. It is only the office that is of value in respect of the man in the office. I am wholly unworthy of my office as pastor. I don't deserve this privilege at all. 
the Lord somehow, some way, for some reason, saw this broken shovel and he decided, just like he did with all the others, to use this fallible, messed up guy. You heard all the things people are saying. Let me tell you how messed up this guy is. And then everybody would be wanting to run me out of town. But thanks be to God, it's not about Tyrell Bramwell. It's about Jesus Christ. And so I wear the uniform. I cover as much of me up as possible so that as I'm pointing people to Jesus, they're not losing sight of him through me. That's the goal. All right, here we go. Back to Luther. It behooves a wise minister of God to hold his office in honor and to have his hearers show it proper respect. As a believing servant of God, the wise minister must not transgress the bounds of his ministry, nor abuse it by pride, but must administer it to the welfare and benefit of his parishioners. The servant of Christ, then, must be both wise and believing. If he fails in wisdom, he will prove himself a sluggard who is self-indulgent and so unworthy of his high office. Such a person will permit the divine office entrusted to him by God, to be treated with contempt, though he should exalt it. Now, that was the first one, if he fails in wisdom. If he fails in faith, he will prove himself a tyrant who terrifies the people by his authority and takes delight in being a bully. Calling these two vices by name, we might describe them as frivolity, being frivolous, and severity, being severe. Of the first, Zechariah says in Zechariah eleven seventeen, Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. Of the second, Ezekiel writes in Ezekiel 34, 4, With force and with cruelty have you ruled them. These are the two chief sins from which all other pastoral offenses flow. They are the roots of all evil. It is therefore very dangerous for anyone to receive the office before these two monsters have been slain. The more power they exercise, the greater is the harm they do. Pretty good stuff, right? Right. Why Paul exalts his ministry, Luther says, against these two monsters, the apostle in this entire prologue or introductory part of his letter pictures his ministry as a pleasing pattern. In order that he might not be despised by his hearers as faint-hearted or frivolous, he depicts his apostolic office in all its greatness and glory. Again, in order that he might not appear to them as a despot or tyrant, he wins their hearts by charming friendliness, and all this to make them amenable to the gospel, both by dignity and love. After the pattern of the apostle, every minister in the church should clearly distinguish between his person and his office, between the form of a servant and the form of God, and always regard himself as the least of all, in order that he might, with dignity and love, administer his office with the sole object in mind to promote the welfare and salvation of his parishioners. 
It's the church that's important, not Pastor Bramwell. Indeed, knowing that his office has been entrusted to him solely for the benefit of his people, he should be willing to give up his ministry if it is no longer profitable, rather than become a hindrance to it. And of course, the profitable is not talking about financially, so in case you're hearing that wrong, profitable to the people for their eternal salvation. It certainly is a great offense on the part of the minister if by one of these vices, either frivolity or severity, or both, he renders his office unfruitful. The final account which he must give of his stewardship shall in that case be very grievous. Okay, so that's all the lead up to the commentary. And now we're getting into Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. This phrase, Luther says, expresses both modesty and majesty. That's awesome, isn't it? Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, expresses both modesty and majesty. It expresses modesty, that would be humility, because the apostle does not regard himself as a lord or a master, as do the arrogant tyrants. He calls himself a servant. It expresses majesty because he glories in his being a servant of the Lord. <laughs> I love it. Now, if it is already disastrous to deny to the servants of an emperor honor and respect, what will happen to those who do not receive with due honor the servants of God? So if we, like Polycarp said, if we have been already charged, taught, instructed, guided to give respect and honor to the civil authorities and their servants, how much more so? How much more so should we give honor and respect to Christ's servants, to God's servants, to pastors? And yet in this day and age, anti-clericalism is a plague. It is a long-held plague that has just wreaked havoc across the Western world for generations. How much more so should the pastors receive honor? Because, not because they're, they're lords or masters themselves, people in high position, but because they're not, because they're servants of he who is the highest, Jesus Christ. The expression, a servant of Jesus Christ, is indeed, Luther says, overwhelmingly terrifying. Here, it does not so much describe Paul's personal reverent submission to God as rather the exalted dignity of his office. Paul calls himself a servant to confess that he has received the apostolic office from God above others. Yes, above others. What he means to say is perhaps this, I preach the gospel, I teach the church, baptize, and do other pastoral works, which truly are God's work. But I do them not as a Lord to rule over you, church, 
but as a servant to whom the ministry means nothing else than that which Christ desires me to do among you. This cannot be said of that other ministry with regard to which all believers are in equal measure called servants of God. The one is a special ministry of some, some hold it. The other is a general ministry which applies to all believers. So there's the call to be a Christian, and then from the Christians, there's the call to be a pastor. It is a different office and one that makes your pastor, your pastor, such a gift to you because he literally is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's servant to you. With that, let's take our next break. We'll be right back for more from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther on the frivolity, severity, and therefore, conversely, the faithfulness of pastors. Hello, friends. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, host of Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning at 11 a.m., join me and a guest pastor as we explore God's Word, which strengthens our faith and guides our lives. You can listen over the air, online at kfuo.org, or through your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Thy Strong Word, only from KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Reverend Luther is looking at Romans 1.1. We haven't even got past the first verse. We're still looking at it. Now we're moving on to some more vocabulary from it. Luther's looking at called to be an apostle. And he says, these words describe Paul's ministry more fully. For there are indeed many servants or ministers of Jesus Christ, but not all are apostles. All apostles, however, are also servants or ministers who are to do the work of the Lord, among others, in Christ's stead, as his stewards. Now, he directs these words against three classes of men. The first consists of false prophets, who at that time, the time of the apostles, were to be found by the thousands, for the devil sowed them as tares among the wheat, Matthew 13, 25. The second class consists of such as invade the parishes prompted by selfish ulterior motives. They might not be lying apostles. They're not, they're not lying. For they might teach what is true and what is proper and rightly direct the people. Still, Luther says, the words called to be an apostle condemn them. For even though they might not be thieves and robbers, John 10.1, as the first group of people, the false prophets, they are indeed hirelings who seek their own advantage and do not promote the cause of Christ. It's funny, I was just accused of being a hireling when one of the people who uh, doesn't like publicly praying for public officers who sin came to my house, knocked on my door during lunch, and then berated me. And in the midst of her beration, is that a word? Beration? Berating? She found out I was paid. I asked her, I was like, you know what time it is? Like, I'm here at lunch. Could we do this later? And she's like, what? I thought you were a pastor. Aren't you here all the time? I'm like, well, I am, but I'm kind of also home for lunch. Do your, your people, what do they pay you? And you have to take time off? I'm like, oh, yes, my 
the congregation does pay me, and I do get time off. You must be a hireling. My minister is not a hireling. It's like, you don't pay your minister? Is that what you're saying? I don't know. I just give tithes. Maybe he gets paid by it. I was like, I think he does. He probably does. But beside all that, beside all that, this isn't what being a hireling is. You can get paid a salary and not be a hireling. What's being a hireling? One who sees the wolf coming and flees. One who's not invested in the people. One who's not operating out of the for the sake of, out of a care and cause of Christ Jesus as an under shepherd of Christ Jesus, but who is operating unto himself for his own advantage. When the shepherd, the under shepherd, that is the pastor continually takes the bites from the wolves, continually gets chewed up and, and spit out. Who's continually hated, doesn't flee town. He's not a hireling, even if he's being paid to be here. What he is, is a faithful pastor for the sake of Christ. So we got the first group, false prophet. The second group, those who are seeking their own advantage. They're getting, they're getting fat off of the fleece of the sheep or however that saying goes. I don't know those things. He's, you know, that kind of thing. The guy who's just out for his own good. The third Luther says, the third class of men that Paul is setting himself apart from consists of such as enter the congregation by force or are forced upon them against the will of the people. You might think of maybe how uh, Roman Catholic priests do it, right? And you get this tyrant, this priest is sent to you, and it's not who you want to be there or uh, something like that, right? Uh, we dealt with this in, in Lutheran Church with the, the Prussian Union and being, you know, Christians being forced to sit under the uh, the Reformed clergy. They're like, no, no, we're, we're going to go to America. We're done with this, right? That kind of a thing. So um, the third class is that which is forced upon the people. They are worse than those of the second class, Luther says, but they're not as bad as the first. So we got in the hierarchy of bad to worse, or worse to not so worse, I should say, we have false prophets, then we have those who are forced upon people, the tyrants, and then we have the hirelings. Why? Because the hirelings are still giving the truth, but when things get rough, they'll take a hike. They're, out, they're there giving you, the, the people, the truth, because that's their job and they're just there to get paid. Right, and as soon as things get rough, it's not worth their time, so they're they're gone. All right, continuing with Luther. Since then, the holy office is so highly exalted, we must guard against this danger as greater than all other perils in this world, and that to come indeed as the very greatest there is, namely to enter the ministry without a divine call. So when someone is is taking up the office without being called, when just shows up on the doorstep and he starts being the preacher. That's a bad thing. He needs to be called by God through his people. If even those are not safe in it, whom God has called in the ministry, as Judas, Luke 22, 3, Saul, 1 Samuel 15, 3, and David, 2 Samuel 11, 2, and following. And at that, the two last, Saul and David, were called by a special call, but not the right special call, Woe to those pitiable persons who take upon themselves the pastoral office without a divine call. So you have to be called to serve the people. This is why I said a couple, ver a couple of verses, <laughs> a couple episodes ago, this is why I said your pastor is such a gift to you. He's called to serve you. 
And you, as a member of the congregation, you're part of that call. Even if you've come into that congregation after they called the pastor, so you're a new member under this pastor, but by virtue of being a member of that congregation, you are participating in your pastor's call to that place. You're joining that congregation means you're part of this divine call process. God is using the congregation to bring the man to you. He's not being forced upon you. The congregation has asked God to send them a faithful pastor, and there is your pastor. This is why it's so good, such a blessed gift that we have our pastors. We should be using them, leaning on them, learning from them, not from our YouTube apostles. Hear that clearly. So again, turn me off. If I am replacing your pastor in your spiritual walk, that is error. Turn me off and go to your in-person pastor. Please hear that loud and clear because God called your pastor in your area to your location, your church to serve you. Cross defense is nothing more than vitamin supplements to the meal you get by the hands of your pastor, by the will of the Lord. All right, so back with Luther. By the word apostle, Paul magnifies the dignity of his ministry and impresses upon his parishioners and hearers reverence for his office. We should indeed receive every servant of God with respect as one who does the work of the Lord among us, but much more so as an apostle. He is the highest ambassador of the Lord and the greatest angel of the Lord of hosts, Jesus Christ. Besides the other blessings of God that come to us in so abundant a measure, we must recognize with due praise and deep gratitude the blessing that in his boundless mercy, God has given to men the exalted prerogative of being his ministers. For our salvation and the Lord's work might be hindered by our excessive fear if he himself, either in his own person or through his angels, would do his work among us. But now, as a faithful physician considering our weaknesses, he has chosen men of our own flesh, of our own blood, creatures whom we need not fear at all, in order that in this way his work might be most richly blessed and prove itself most successful. You get that? Sometimes you're like, if I, God just, I hear this all the time, God spoke to me. Really? Were you terrified? Were you shaking in your boots? I would be if God audibly spoke to me or even just sent an angel to audibly speak to me. I would be terrified. Which is why in scripture we hear so many times when the angels appear, the first thing out of their mouths is fear not. Stop being afraid. I'm here for your good. And so now in these latter days, we are sent messengers of earthly type, fleshly type, human type. Same word in the Greek, angelos, angel, but not an angel from the spiritual realm that is terrifying to behold, but an angel from our earthly realm who possesses no fear, who doesn't 
invoke in us any terror, but is just like us, coming to bring God's word to us, one of our own, in these latter days, serving as Christ's under-shepherd, who Christ, too, bearing our flesh, so that we would not fear God, but would rejoice in him. In ancient times, the prophets felt the greatest fear, back to Luther here, when they received a message from God or an angel. Even Moses could hardly endure this great terror since the word had not yet become flesh. They could not understand it because of its abounding glory and their own great weakness. But now, after the word has been made flesh, it has become very captivating and is imparted to us through men of our own flesh and blood. That, however, does not mean that we should love it less and treat it with less reverence. See the temptation there? Remove the terror that comes from the angelic proclamation of the gospel, and you run the risk of not holding it in reverence, breaking the third commandment, not honoring the Sabbath day, by keeping it holy, not, not hearing God's word and gladly hearing it, but disdaining it. Separated under the gospel of God, one, one still. These words may be understood in two ways. In the first place, in the sense of Acts 13.2, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. In that sense, the words mean, Paul alone was separated as an apostle of the Gentiles, as were Peter and the other apostles for the ministry among the Jews. So each given to his own work, right? The apostle thus explains his ministry more fully, for he is not merely a servant of Jesus Christ and an apostle of God, but he is separated before the others to be an apostle to the Gentiles in a unique way. Your pastor is sent to you in a unique way separated apart from the other pastors out there for you. I am a pastor to the members of the Winged Lion Congregation, St. Mark Lutheran Church in Ferndale. This is where I serve. I have been separated from the other ministers to serve this flock in a unique way through this flock's call. Again, the words might be understood, says Luther, in the sense of Galatians 1, 15 and 16, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. In that sense, the words mean Paul before others was separated even from his mother's womb to be an apostle to the Gentiles. For this we have an analogy in the Old Testament. For in Jeremiah 1.5 we read, Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. This literally applied to Paul. For having been taken from other occupations and tasks, he was separated, ordained, and sanctified for the one office to preach the gospel. This is what happened with your pastor. Using me as an example, because I know my history, my background, I was pulled from being a oil-filled worker to being a minister of God. 
This is the meaning I prefer, says Luther, and I'm with him, says Tyrell. <laughs> Incidentally, Paul reproves those who, though ordained to the divine ministry and entrusted with the Lord's office, mingle in secular pursuits as if they were men of the world. Paul emphasizes the fact that he was separated not to any work in general, but to the one task of preaching the gospel. In this sense, he writes in 1 Corinthians 1.17, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, finally, we get to 1-2. At the very end of the show, we got through one verse. That's how it works when you're studying the Bible, I think, which he had promised a four. That's one, two. He adds these words in order that his readers might not think that his gospel is a reward for our merits or also a figment of human wisdom. The most convincing and persuasive proof of the truth of the gospel is the fact that it was witnessed by the law and the prophets. The gospel today proclaims to us only that which it was to proclaim according to the divine promise. This proves that God's counsel of salvation was foreordained in detail before it was carried into effect. So all glory for this doctrine must be ascribed to God and none to our merits and our efforts. For before we ever existed, it was already ordained according to the ministry in Proverbs 8.23, I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever there, the earth was. It is indeed the gospel, God's wisdom and God's power, 1 Corinthians 1.24, which has brought forth the church and accomplished everything, which in this passage, divine wisdom says, in honor and praise of itself. God's doing all the work, guys. God is. Not your pastor, right? Not you. We must remember. The reason the pastoral office is respected is not because Tyrell is such a great guy and he holds it. Oh, he's done such good things. No, uh-uh. The reason it's respected is because God is doing such great things. God is glorifying his wisdom because Christ Jesus died on the cross for you and for me, for all the world. I'm going to skip to the very end of this section that I want to read to you so that we don't miss out on the end here. We continue with Luther. He, he, God, did all this in order that when the promise would be fulfilled, when Christ have come, has come and the words going out, men would realize that God was dealing with them in accordance with his predetermined counsel of salvation. From this, we see that the Christian religion owes its existence neither to blind chance nor to fate, as some foolish people think, but to the divine predetermined counsel and foreordained purpose according to which it had to be fulfilled. Guys, this is why we honor the pastoral office. Because Christ crucified for the forgiveness of our sins is what it's all about. This is why we treat ministers with respect because they are judging according to Christ and they are bringing that discernment into our lives for our good. There's all kinds of Bible verses we could bring up, but we are out of time for today. The moral of the story, respect your pastor. The pastor who is faithful 
there serving you. Respect him for not being frivolous. Respect him for not being severe, but for being faithful, not for his person, but because of the office, because of Christ Jesus. With that, I bid you farewell for this week. <laughs> we'll talk next week for more cross defense. In the meantime, listen to KFUO Radio. Tune into some more podcasts from KFUO Radio where Christ is for you anytime, anywhere. God's blessings. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.